0: Christmas Giving and Christmas Living by Henry Van Dyke This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon 1. The custom of exchanging presents on a certain day in the year is very much older than Christmas and means very much less. It has obtained in almost all ages of the world and among many different nations. It is a fine thing or a foolish thing, as the case may be, an encouragement to friendliness or a tribute to fashion, an expression of good nature or a bid for favor, an outgoing of generosity or a disguise of greed, a cheerful old custom or a futile old farce. According to the spirit which animates it, and the form which it takes. But when this ancient and variously interpreted tradition of a day of gifts was transferred to the Christmas season, it was brought into vital contact with an idea which must transform it and with an example which must lift it up to a higher plane. The example is the life of Jesus. The idea is unselfish interest in the happiness of others. The great gift of Jesus to the world was himself. He lived with and for men. He kept back nothing. In every particular and personal gift that he made to certain people, there was something of himself that made it precious. For example, at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, it was his thought for the feelings of the giver of the feast and his wish that every guest should find due entertainment that lent the flavor of a heavenly hospitality to the wine which he provided. When he gave bread and fish to the hungry multitude who had followed him out among the hills by the lake of Genesaret, the people were refreshed and strengthened by the sense of the personal care of Jesus for their welfare as much as by the food which he bestowed upon them. It was another illustration of the sweetness of a dinner of herbs where love is. The gifts of healing which he conferred among many different kinds of sufferers were, in every case, evidences that Jesus was willing to give something of himself, his thought, his sympathy, his vital power, to the men and women among whom he lived. Once, when a paralytic was brought to Jesus on a bed, he surprised everybody and offended many by giving the poor wretch the pardon of his sins before he gave new life to his body. That was just because Jesus thought before he gave, because he desired to satisfy the deepest need, because, in fact, he gave something of himself in every gift. All true Christmas giving ought to be after this pattern. Not that it must be all solemn and serious. For the most part, it deals with little wants, little joys, little tokens of friendly feeling. But the feeling must be more than the token, else the gift does not really belong to Christmas. It takes time and effort and unselfish expenditure of strength to make gifts in this way, but it is the only way that fits the season. The finest Christmas gift is not the one that costs the most money, but the one that carries the most love. 2. But how seldom Christmas comes! Only once a year and how soon it is over, a night and a day. If that is the whole of it, it seems not much more durable than the little toys that one buys of a fakir on the street corner. They run for an hour and then the spring breaks and the legs come off and nothing remains but a contribution to the dust heap. But surely that need not and ought not to be the whole of Christmas, only a single day of generosity ransomed from the dull servitude of a selfish year, only a single night of merrymaking, celebrated in the slave quarters of a selfish race. If every gift is the token of a personal thought, a friendly feeling, an unselfish interest in the joy of others, then the thought, the feeling, the interest, may remain after the gift is made. The little present, or the rare and long-wished-for gift. It matters not whether the vessel be of gold, or silver, or iron, or wood, or clay, or just a small bit of birch bark folded into a cup, may carry a message something like this. I am thinking of you today, because it is Christmas, and I wish you happiness. And tomorrow, because it will be the day after Christmas, I shall still wish you happiness. And so on, clear through the year. I may not be able to tell you about it every day because I may be far away, or because both of us may be very busy, or perhaps because I cannot even afford to pay the postage on so many letters or find the time to write them. But that makes no difference. The thought and the wish will be here just the same. In my work and in the business of life, I mean to try not to be unfair to you or injure you in any way. In my pleasure, if we can be together, I would like to share the fun with you. Whatever joy or success comes to you will make me glad. Without pretense and in plain words, goodwill to you is what I mean, in the spirit of Christmas. It is not necessary to put a message like this into high-flown language, to swear absolute devotion and deathless consecration. In love and friendship, small, steady payments on a gold basis are better than immense promissory notes, nor indeed is it always necessary to put the message into words at all, nor even to convey it by a tangible token. To feel it and to act it out, that is the main thing. There are a great many people in the world whom we know more or less, but to whom, for various reasons, we cannot very well send a Christmas gift. But there is hardly one in all the circles of our acquaintance, with whom we may not exchange the touch of Christmas life. In the outer circles, cheerful greetings, courtesy, consideration. In the inner circles, sympathetic interest, hearty congratulations, honest encouragement. In the inmost circle, comradeship, helpfulness, tenderness, beautiful friendship tried by sun and wind durable from the daily dust of life. After all, Christmas living is the best kind of Christmas giving. End of Christmas Giving and Christmas Living by Henry Van Dyke. Recording by Colleen McMahon.